Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast for the Team Movistar preview. We'll have the men and women's team previews all in one file on podcast players, separate videos on YouTube, as well as an interview with Sebastian Nzue, who is the COO of Abaka Sports, which is the company that owns the Movistar teams, men and women's, as well as being the manager of the Movistar women's team. So that's a, actually a pretty good interview, I've got to say, uh, one of our better ones. And uh, I hope you enjoy that somewhere in the middle of this podcast after the men's preview. But without much further ado, we'll get into our show partner for this show, Lacole, who produced performance cycling apparel. They've made a bit of a stir recently with the release of the Bora Hans Grower kit a few days ago, which I'm going to say, seeing some of the other kits that have been released in dribs and drabs throughout the previous week, not naming any names, but yes, that one. Um, this Bora kit looks so good in comparison. And um, I, I commend LeCole for going a bit different with it and uh, taking a few risks. And I think the response has been, first of all, most importantly, uh, interest in it and largely positive. Although, you know, kits are very, very sensitive and divisive topic there was also the announcement that lacole uh becoming the title sponsor of lacole wahoo women's uci team no they were drops lacole in 2021 they also released their kit which looks one of the best in the women's pro peloton as well i believe they'll be going to the tour de france fam next year so big shout out to lacole back in the world tour with bora hands grower and for supporting women's cycling are continuing to do so with Lacole Wahoo. But now, Benji, you know how we do it. 2021 review first for Movistar. Three World Tour wins, which is more than last year. One Grand Tour stage win, Miguel Angel Lopez in the Vuelta, stage 18, Carmoniteru. A smattering of dot pro wins uh, with Mars Bala, Lopez, Andalucia, and Serrano. And Abner Gonzalez won the Puerto Rican national champs. And then Bala came back and actually won an uphill finish at Cecilia about five weeks after his collarbone. But more points this year. They they were terrible last year in 2020. Just yeah. awful. But more points this year. Still, I think, not great. It's not amazing, but relative to last year where they had two victories, one of which being a World Tour one, this is significantly better. And in all honesty, it's not all about the victories for a team like this, because you've got GC riders in this. So we have to look at top 10 positions in Grand Tours, top 5 positions in Grand Tours, and podiums as well. But let's start off with those World Tour wins, for example. That stage win by by, uh, Lopez is certainly one to look at. It's one of the uh, bigger stages of the year when it comes to the climbing on Gamuniteru. And then when it comes to the other ones, yes, there's one in there for the uh, Tour Romandie with Marc Soler. But... On the other one, Volvare in Criterium de Dauphine was also teamwork that brought Movistar to that uh, victory, partially because Lopez decided to start working for Volvare and make sure that people couldn't ride away at that point. But all in all, that's it's three victories. I would have loved to see a bit more in Grand Tours than one stage win, personally. So that's an area where I'd want to see more from a team like this. When it comes to GC, we are looking at being second at the Vuelta and sixth at the Tour de France with Enric Maas. I think I would have liked to see a top five at the Tour de France with Enric Mas, and six is just out of the bounds where I'm like, ah, oh, come on, just so close. Particularly with Haig crashing out, Robles crashing out, Kelderman had crashed in front of him. He was 
yeah, he was just consistently – he got better throughout the Grand Tour. But Mars, I think, did as well as they could have hoped with second in the Vuelta, like no one expecting him to actually beat Roglic. Maybe a stage would have been nice, but he showed a really, really good level in the Vuelta. Mm-hmm. Second there easily, in fact. But still with Mars, Benji – he is literally uncompetitive in world in one week world tour races like Catalonia nineteenth, Basque eighteenth, and Dauphiné eleventh. And the one one week race where he was doing well was that one in the start of the I think Valenciana where yeah. he then punctured in the last time trial and then lost the uh, GC as a consequence. So uh, yeah, it's not a ideal eater for this man. But in all honesty, I think there's also aspects to the t- this team where you're like, oh, they had some bad luck. Like a Gregor Mulberger who started joining uh, last season, came to this team and was supposed to be a rider for the Hill Classics, for example, had meningitis, if I looked it up correctly a bit earlier, and was off their bike for quite a while, had some injuries next to that. And all that combined made him basically useless for this team the entire season, which is Sad, because I would have loved to see Mulberger rise up because he was pretty prominent the years before. And that's one thing they're missing here. And then you look at the team and you're like, okay, they've got so many riders for GC and supportive riders for Mars and Lopez, for example. But you can't send Mars and Lopez also to LBL and so forth. That's where Valverde came in. Yes, fourth at LBL then. Just, yeah, we spoke about the sprint quite a bit in that LBL uh, recap. Yeah, he should have podiumed. He is still easily their best rider, like easily their best. He's at 41 years old this year, or in 2021, Bala was. It's actually scary how reliant they are on Valverde for results in the Ardennes where he was, by the way, fifth Amstel, third Flesh, fourth Liège, and then at Lombardia he came fifth. Um, Like it's just crazy how reliant they are on him. And he says – if we're to believe him, this is his last year. So I'm Serrano. Thankfully, is coming on a bit, which we'll get to in a second. But yeah, they they rely on Balor a lot. Obviously, Benji, you said you you want to see more Grand Tour results, and I don't think you just mean GC. Is the problem the quadruple stacking, sending Soler Mas, Lopez Balor, sending them to the Tour, and then sending them again to the Vuelta. Do you think they should have distribute them a little bit more around the place? I think it's more the other issue. I think it's the fact that like an Ineos going towards the Tour de France with X amount of leaders, for example, and if they then eventually end up with a third or a fifth or a sixth spot in GC and you don't have a stage win, but you had like three leaders in that team, then okay, you focus three leaders on getting a sixth position in GC. That's just a bit meh, you know? But other teams have riders that next to that can also go for stage wins. But look at Movistar last season. Who is going to be their guy for stage wins in the Tour de France in like a sprint they can't compete? So they have to look at breakaway opportunities. But breakaway opportunities mostly happen on climbing stages, which means that the domestiques of a Maz and so forth have to go into breakaways for that to happen. And all that stuff combined makes it that they don't have many options to get stage wins in Grand Tours because they focus on GC. And yes, getting second at the Velta is certainly a good result. So that went well. But they also just had one stage win there, which was with one of their GC leaders. I know. And you look at like Marc Soler, really good breakaway rider and often got changed and now he's gone. 
There's also issues, Benji, with, you know, maybe they're wanting to move in a different direction. Like it seems like Pachi Villa's kind of staged a bit of a coup and Jose Luis Arrieta's out. The, for, the He was the director of Movistar, if you remember them from, from the documentary, the different personalities. Well, Arrieta's out. So I, I wonder what's been going on behind the scenes. Obviously, maybe they're like, listen, 2020 wasn't good enough and Pachi Villa is the man to bring us into a better direction. That being said, yeah, just not. I don't know. Again, I don't know what their budget is either. That, like they still have really good um, like sponsor stabilities, maybe the best in the entire sport. So whatever you think of Eusebio, like he's got the sponsors locked down. So that's priority number one. Last thing on this season review, Benji, the Lopez situation. I'm not sure they could have salvaged it. Like I don't think he wanted to come back um, to Movistar. That being said, if you were them and you had a time machine, how would you have treated the year differently with Lopez or is it just a Lopez problem? Uh, it's. I think it's not necessarily a Lopez problem, but it's a problem when you have multiple leaders and when they don't share in each other's work as much as they perhaps should. But look at the Vuelta. Mars is almost every stage above Lopez in GC. It's logical that the first one to fold into a domestique role when necessary is going to be Lopez in that situation. And Lopez should also realize that. And for example, in the Dauphiné, Lopez did come in and became the domestique for Volvari on that one stage. And eventually, well, Lopez ended up, I think, third on one of those stages and sixth in GC, which was the first of the team than in GC. Perhaps he, after the race, says, well, perhaps if I didn't have to work for Valverde on that stage, I could have attacked and I could have gotten something more of, out of something like that. So I think Lopez might just not be happy with the way that he was the guy that offered up and really didn't get much back because of it. Yeah, so he's out. So now we're talking about transfers. Biggest one who came in for the year. Not on huge money, I understand, in 2021. But now out the door, Lopez going to Astana. I think it's a big he's, – he's the best one-hour climber in the world, particularly to altitude in my view. So yeah, he won their only Grand Tour stage. He's an unbelievable climber and he's out. Um, so that is a loss that they have not replaced. Cataldo, you know, aging domestique, Italian, gone to Trek, no big deal. Soler to UAE, which I understand was a, a big, big deal, a big offer, which – Probably, I don't know, It's it seems like a good break for both parties, Benji. I, f- I feel like it's better for Soler, who won a Romandie stage this year, to just be given maybe some more opportunities in one-week races as, as leader and just to have a different environment. And for the money I, I saw, I, I didn't think it was worth it for them to match it either. Yeah, I think so as well. About Lopez, though, the question there is, we're, we're talking about, is he replaceable? And I think that the results that he got, if you look just at the, at the results on paper, are replaceable. You can get a stage win with someone in a Grand Tour that you get for not limited money and is not a GC rider like Lopez, for example. But I think the main difference there is that he was very supportive in La Vuelta for Mas as well. And that's the one where you got to look at and try and replace. And I don't think Lopez, results-wise, lived up to his potential. So as a consequence... It might sound easier to replace than you can't replace the potential, but you can replace the results. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like we in Moneyball when they're like, we we can't replace uh, Johnny Damon. We just need to replace 
what are you is, saying? Is on base percentage, <laughs> um, and then we'll be fine. So I, I get exactly what you're okay. saying, um, and I, I agree. That being said, Lopez, given where he was being paid, I think, and he he did an extension and it ripped it up. Anyway, we don't need to rehash that. Other people going out, uh, Davide Velella, Italian to Cofidis. He actually was quite good setting up Baller in that Giro de Sicilia uphill finish. He's a good sort of hilly, hilly classics domestique. Uh, I would have liked to have kept him, but maybe got a better offer. Carotero to Ikebo, Karen Farmer dropping down to Pro Conti, no big loss. Same with Kala, the Brit on San Piran, who actually did an interview recently, and he was like, I think he was talking about Piepoli, who was one of the coaches, uh, Leonardo Pep Piepoli, and he was saying like he was prescribing like five hours rise with no carbs. It was just rubbish. And um, he was supposed to be classic support for Ivan Garcia Cortina. But anyway, he's out. Uh, gone to Conti level back in the UK. But, yeah, a bit weird hearing what some of the training stories um, from Piepoli. Also, Alba and Mora to Androni and Manuela. I don't know who those two guys are, so I assume it's no big no big deal. Um, yeah. Anything okay. else on their, on their outgoings, Benji? I think they're replaceable except for, like, obviously the uh, potential of Lopez. You won't see that in any of the signings, in my opinion. And also... The likes of a Soler can always warrant one World Tour win in a, in a year, but like you said, they weren't going to uh, match the offer that was rumored for UAE. So as a consequence, uh, I uh, I feel like it's uh, better for both parties, personally. Now, um, when it comes to the incoming transfers, a lot of Astana transfers, of course, because yeah. Astana had a, a bit of an odd uh, adventure as we Spaniards. spoke about. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> recalled all of them. And that includes the likes of Jorge Izaguirre, Alex Aramburu, Oscar Rodriguez. Those are the three that they got from Astana. And in all honesty, all three of these riders have good results in their past, but have not been consistent. It's something like that we can see across the board. And Aramburu, the legend himself, let's talk about him first because he deserves that. And uh, he had that stage win in Itzulia. It was a stage when I didn't see coming. I don't think anybody really saw it coming. Uh, we were hoping for it. We were memeing it, but it actually happened. And he's a very versatile rider, you know, because you've got the cobbles, because he got six in Omlope. If you don't remember that, I didn't, but apparently he got six in Omlope. And then getting that on a hill stage in Etulia as well, we've got 11th, 13th, and 21st spot in LBL, Flesh, and Amstel. So those are good supportive results to help our leaders in Hill Classic. So I feel like that's very good. Then at Dauphiné, he was getting beaten by Colbrelli, but got close twice, second and third. And then we look at the Tour de France, and they kind of used them, I don't know, once he was sprinting, and I think he was also in a breakaway at some point, in the breakaway where I think Godou and some other guy attacked, Conrad. And yeah. Conrad ended up winning that stage, I think. But uh, all in all, throughout the season, I think he's versatile. I think he's not the best at any discipline. As a consequence, he has a very high difficulty at winning. And you've got that ITT, of course, at the Vuelta, but I think that was mainly down to the uh, demon descending that he has. What do you think that a rider like this can offer to Movistar? I think he can become a sort of B-tier puncher. Like he came eleventh in, uh, 13th in flesh, 11th in Amstel. It gives another option with Bala. I think he's and like Flesh, he wasn't that far behind either. Seventh in Milano San Remo, just he he got raced heavily in big races, as Ben you already said, in the Tour and Vuelta by uh, by Astana, which was uh, similar across the board. I think he just adds so many 
just another guy, a guy that can actually win a lot of the races they do, like Memorial Marco Pantani or Gran Piemonte or Circuito de Ghecho or Andalusia stages. Yeah. All, and I think they're really happy with Serrano who came in. Aaron Brew is like next level above Serrano. And I just don't know what to focus on with him, Benji, whether it's like he came second in a TT or does he focus on the Ardennes or does he focus on stage breakaway wins or is it punchy uphill finishes like, Giro stage one, which he could definitely win Giro stage one. I don't, I don't know. He, he's very, very all-around rider, and you even mentioned the cobble results. So what do you think will be his focus at Movsa? What do they? Why do they sign him? Well, why do they sign him is a very good question, and that's a question that you should ask them. But how I look at Alexander Ambudu as a rider is that he's got that uphill sprint that he's good at. That's something he can do well in, but he's usually ending up in races where somebody is just a bit better at that. And as a consequence, he can't win that easily. You've got Cortina and Serrano also on the team doing very similar things in that aspect. Cortina had a pretty bad year, Garcia Cortina, but I guess we can speak about him a bit later. Serrano can also do that, like we mentioned. I think if I was them, I would look at that as an ability for those Spanish races you mentioned. In Grand Tours, I'd be looking at breakaways, except for Grand Tours where he's together with a Maza's leader, for example. Because I would like to see, just for one race, Aramburu tested as like a proper domestique. Because he's very versatile and has those descending skills. Screw you, Benji. Taking, look at what happened to Mark Soler. <laughs> you're taking the most talented riders on Movistar and you're making them become domestiques again and get no opportunities in like, races. Like a Dude. Aramburu was also part of the coup at Suya. Benji's trying to start the hashtag cage Aramburu movement. <laughs> I never thought I'd see it. Anyway, that is far too much on Aramburu. Uh, he's also joined by Oscar Rodriguez from Astana, another Spaniard. Um, he was good on Uskadi, one of Welter stage back in 2018, 19, second GC at Burgos when he was about 24 and 25. Uh, yeah, about 24. And then he went to Astana, was not good for the last two years and is getting a lifeline at Movistar for two years to continue his World Tour career. He, But that being said, he was second at Mont 2 behind Lopez this year on the Mont 2 Denevelle Challenge. So there's some talent still there, some potential there. Yeah, obviously didn't work out at Astana. Maybe Movistar think they can get it out of him. Uh, I'll, I'll <laughs> hold the big the big signings till last, Benji. Although Max Cantor from DSM, who I thought was kind of good and then I looked at it, he just isn't good. Uh, he's 24. From He's been on DSM or somewhere for quite a while. Had a year and, off, I think. Uh, had he, a year off because of muscular problems and okay. then came back at DSM and now found his way again with, I think, two top trees, I think, in 2020 in the Vuelta. Yes. Yeah. And then this year was just more of the same. So I don't feel like he has progressed between 2020 and 21. And like you said, he's a bit of a, what do we say, pro Conti sprinter or... That's what I was trying. Is he that? Is he a pro? Like, come on, like seventh in that sprint in Catalonia at Mataro behind Camp, Reinhardt, Janzi van Resberg, and, and Impey. Like, that's the one you'd be thinking, come on, you, you if you're going to be a reduced bunch sprinter, well, or a, it's just. It's a perfect signing for him. He's the main sprinter for Movistar this year. <laughs> I know. It's, well, no, I was looking as well, Benji. I was like, okay, Tour de la stage one. Again, like we got Schelling is sixth in that sprint, right? Yeah. Um, and he came 38th. He had no lead out. So he's was that it. the uphill sprint? 
No, 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 no. That's, that was stage okay. two. Stage one was the Ballerini beat the Mar flat sprint. In, oh, yeah, in you're the, right. There was a few hills, but he made it over in the hills. Uh, made it over the hills to the finish. He had no lead out. I'm thinking, okay, well, he's going to have no lead out in Movistar. So, like, yeah, he wasn't competitive in that sprint either. And maybe he okay. came on a little bit better at the end of the year with some good result, better results in Tour of Britain. But why, why do you think they sign him? Is it points? Like, I don't think Movistar needs points, right? Yeah, only if they had like a year like 2020. They're, they're safe from relegation for now. Next cycle, maybe. Yeah, thanks to GC, of course, because if they get top fives and top threes at a Grand Tour, they're going to get major points. And as a consequence, yeah. they don't need to hunt for one-on-one races with a rider like this. So I don't know. I feel like they wanted just that extra rider who could bring in results across the board because they don't have a single rider in that area. And I think that if you go to the Bing Bang Tour, you put this guy in the team and he can sprint. I don't know. I kind of feel like it uh, shows a lack of faith in Garcia Cortina. Anyway. Well, Will, I would as well after this season. That's fair, yeah. Will Barter, another odd signing. American from EF. He had a year on EF in 2021. This year, after he'd been on CCC, and he was like, you know, lucky to get the contract after that, although he did have second on that stage in the Worlds of 2020 when Roglic stole the stage from him by like half a second. <laughs> what a this team. year wasn't, wasn't great. Uh, no top 30s, but maybe he was, I assume he was a domestique role. Um, yeah. They must be signing as a dom, right? Yep. I'm guessing as well. Uh, time trial abilities, yes. Perhaps for the uh, Vuelta with the team time trial. I don't True, know if that thinking, yeah. falls into that. Because uh, people might look into time trialists to better their squad there. But then again, you've got Oliveira. So isn't that a guy as well you've got? You can't fill the team up with five time trialists just for that TTT, of course. Exactly. Like they do have Oliveira, Erviti, and and Kara. They got some pretty good engines already. The last single last signing, Oyer, Oyer Lascano, another Basque rider, 22, tall rider, um, doesn't really have any results. So I we'll see, think. See what he does. I think he's a good signing. I just don't know why it. I think he will turn out to be a good signing. It's not because I have a deep love for Kaha behind the scenes, certainly not, but. I um yeah I can't tell you why I just feel like he's he's a decent rider. He's the next Erviti and Oliveira, right? He's that sort of profile. Like he won a break in the Volta Portugal yeah, but when he was like kind 20. of versatile. He he seems to get over hills as well in some races. So I was looking towards Palmares throughout his results, and I was like, okay, this guy can has some decent time trial results, but some very poor ones as well. And then I look at stages like that. Uh, that stage he won. That you just mentioned, um, Velta Portugal, yes, and Viseur or something. Uh, that was also indeed that breakaway uh, stage win. So similar to what you said. Okay, next. <laughs> Erviti's thirty-eight. He's retired. He, not sorry. He's not. I don't know that. Erviti's thirty-eight. <laughs> this is his contract ends this year in twenty twenty-two with Movistar. Now he's still really good, might extend. But I'm just saying, it looks to me like like we need to bring in some of the uh, similar domestics. Yeah. So the, the big last big signing, Ivan Sosa. From Ineos, um, I didn't see it coming because he's wrecked by a quadro who had the big falling out with Movistar after Carapaz went from Movistar to Ineos. Well, he's got a two-year lifeline with Movistar because Ineos didn't seem too interested in uh, continuing. He won Tour de Provence this year, oh, 2021, then just went missing. He had a four-month break after Algarve in May, and then he came back at Giro della Toscana for the five, five Italian one-day races, DNF'd all of them. Do you know what? Did he get COVID? What, what, what happened? 
I don't know what happened to Sosa, to be honest. Yeah, like um, I might need to read through the Spanish press and see what happened, but he, it wasn't even this year aside, which wasn't great. Like you look at, he, he just struggles in World Tour races, Benji. Like he's won GC at Burgos yeah. twice, he's won Tour de la Provence, he's won on Laguna Sonaya in twenty twenty, uh, or pick on blank or whichever it was ahead of Avonapol. But World Tour races and Grand Tours. He has not been able to contribute at Ineos, and if you can't contribute in those races, then Ineos are not going to keep you on. Do you see that changing at Movistar? I don't know. I feel like with Burgos, the interest is there for a team like this to have that kind of rider on. He can do well on that. Laguna Zanaya, he's proven it before. So those kind of races, he can do something on, but is that going to change for GC? I I can't say that. that. That's impossible to say. I think his weaknesses are clear that it's any stage with echelons, he's completely dying at the back of the peloton, so that's not great. But you won't have that every Grand Tour. But on the other hand, it seems like every time there's some chaotic stage, he's losing time. And he's not there when you need him. And that's something that's quite necessary for a domestique, for a, a leader. I wouldn't trust him in the team of Mas personally. No, like he just, Grand Tours, he, as you said, just what didn't have it. And even like Tour de la Provence wins at the Chalet Renard stage three. A week later, he goes to UAE and you've got the crosswind stage, Mr. Split, whatever, it doesn't matter. Lots of guys missed the split, yeah. sit in the punch. Okay, it's probably a hard day. Then you've got a TT. Then stage three, they got, I think, 800 kilojoules per hour, MVDP was, or whoever before, Jabel Hafeet. And then you've got a watts per kilo test that looks very, very similar to the Lagunas Denial yeah. or Burgos stages, and he's nowhere. Like, is is that inconsistency that Ineos just, you know, they can't have? And I don't know, he's 24. He's definitely not a GC, World Tour GC guy. Yeah. Just no shot. But, Benji, do you think they're buying in on him possibly – being like could win a queen stage and if he's nowhere on GC out of the GC group like do you even see that as possible my issue with is that with that is that if you've got a GC rider in your team are you going to tell your GC guy well we're bringing Sosa to try and win a queen stage so that's one spot gone in the team to support you can't do that so the only ground tour that you can send them to is the one that Maz is not going to true yeah, and that's the Giro, which Bala's going to, and Bala is good. The parkour kind of suits him. I, yeah, I don't know, and it all depends on the money too. Like, listen, maybe, maybe it's like three hundred k. I very, very much doubt it. Um, and in that case, they're buying low, and they could get some good results. And he wasn't happy at Ineos, and that I don't know. Maybe Benji as well. Someone mentioned this to me. Like Movistar are not just a in the in Spain, they're also in Colombia and South America, mm-hmm. and with Lopez going, they need a Colombian star. That being said, Sosa, when you look at social media and stuff, he's not the like, star. That's what I mean. Like he's not he's not a Gita, let alone no. Lopez or Quintana or Bernal Carapaz. He's quite yeah, quite low key for a, for a Colombian given some of the follower numbers. But yeah, we'll see how that works out. Uh, not a great track record with. Uh, Lopez and Carapaz and Aquadro guys at Movistar recently. But anyway, picking their teams for 2022, Benji. Brazil. You forgot the Brazilian, oh, no, right? I'm sorry. I, do, I apologize. That wasn't a How bit. dare you? 
introduced. Vinicius Rangel, yes, yes, yes. He's uh, a rider that had one registered race in 2021, which is the World Championships U23. That is a, a registered race on PCS. I think that there's probably other races he rode locally in the area. Um, it's his first re- UCI registered team, Movistar, and he's a Brazilian. That's one thing I like a lot because the last Brazilian that I think was in World Tour was someone like Murilo Fischer back in the day. So uh, that, oh, nostalgia, the days of Murilo Fischer. But we don't have much Brazilian cyclists in the top level of cycling, and I like seeing that happen because I know we've got some Brazilian fans for, for LRCP that are very hyped about this transfer, and as a consequence, I am as well. But that 9-fat U23 World Championships in France is actually a good result. That's the same as a... The likes of a Tobias Bayer, the guy that we saw do well in Burgos for Alpecin, the same as Paul Penaway, a rider on Ajizera, no, Grupama, U23 team, very talented rider as well. So he's a rider that can punch pretty well, and I hope we can see that in more races than just this one. So he came over from Brazil to Spain to race this year in August and did really well on the sort of, am- well, not amateur, but smaller Spanish circuit. Yeah. He, as he's 20 years old, he won the Vuelta a Cantabria, won the Vuelta a Salamanca, both the oh, only cool. stage races he did, and he won like uh, two stages at one of them and um, won like every jersey at Vuelta a Salamanca. And yeah, so he looks pretty good. I'm really hyped for it. Young, different country, seems to have great hair, great name, Vinicius Rangel. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. All right. The hair does it. Yeah, picking their teams for 2022. This is the the hardest slash easiest one, Benji, their cobbled team. Um, and I know Balor's supposed to be doing literally every race, but I think Valverde's their best cobbled rider. He's actually really good at them. Um, but you can't overload them. He's doing RVV. He probably will T10 it because he's a freak. But what about Genvevel having Omloop? Is you got to try with the Ivan Garcia Cortina project again. Yeah, I guess that's the thing we need to do in this team because you've got not that much depth in the cobble squad of this team. So Garcia Cortina, Johan Jakobs, those are riders I would send. The likes of Matthias Norsgaard, Erviti, um, because he was the guy that was also in the Paris Roubaix break a few years ago and was also pretty good at the end. Jorge Izaguirre seems to get top 40s or like roughly 40, 45 nah, spots. I'm putting my foot down. Okay. This it's isn't a star allowed. anymore. Gorka, you don't have to do 90 race days You, you need <laughs> eight riders, seven riders, seven Yuri, riders in this Yuri race. Yuri Holman. And? We're at five. <laughs> Jeez, Yuri Holman, Norsgaard, Oliveira. Henrik um, Maas <laughs> to train for the cobble station the tour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Well, that's not... Yeah, there might be some truth to that. Um I don't see it happening. Is Jorge Arcas? No, he doesn't do them. Max Kanter, I don't know. Like he hasn't done much in all races before, but you gotta fill the team up somehow. Albert Torres? Who, who is that? What does he do? Nope. Rangel. <laughs> Ninth in Flanders U23. Come on, send them. Jorgensen. Did you say Jorgensen? I did not say Jorgensen. I would send him. He seems versatile. He seems like he could just he's kind of like powerless and could just randomly rip off a T10 and on loop. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a bit light on the ground for most of the classics, especially when Balor's not there. It's not definitely not their strength. But for the length of classics, uh, I think Valverde's the man there, which is um, actually not a bad option. Like he, he's top 10 Flanders before, which is kind of crazy. Maybe Luis Mas as well usually does in Benji as a domestique. 
All right. Hill Classics. Are you sending Aaron Baru with Bala to yes. to them? I, I agree. Serrano as well, actually. Yeah. The, the Movistar Trident has to be complete. You cannot <laughs> go without a Trident. The one-day Trident. Uh, he did them this year. He did, he did them this year without too much success. I don't know. I see Serrano as better in the uphill finishes of easier races, like an Andalusia Tour stage. Pologna. Which domestiques, Benji? Jorge is a gear if he can't go to the gobble races for you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's one I would put up there. Oh, next to that. What, sorry? Carlos Verona. He usually goes to Liège as a dom. Yeah. Yeah, true. You're right. But once again, we need to fill up a full team. And right now, we don't have that many. Uh, Matthias Nordesgaard, nah. Jorgensen for these, like, I would put Jorgensen in the Hill Classics instead of the Cobble Classics. Yeah, he could, he should do them. Um, Pedrero, maybe, or yeah, Abner Gonzalez, Benji. Like, why not? Your man. Cortina um, Amstel, not LBL. Is that too much? Yeah, it's a fair point. You know, it's a fair point. Like, maybe, I don't know. I would have him peak a little bit earlier. Um, maybe the Vinicius Runhell guy just sent him <laughs> everything. <laughs> yeah, but you're right. Like it's it's all on Bala and a little bit on uh, on Aaron Baru for those for the Giro. Apparently Valverde's going, uh, which I think is really a really good idea given stage one is like perfectly suits him and there's no altitude and I think it perfectly suits him. Frankly, the otherwise I would send. Would you send Max Cantor Benji to tries in sprints? My team for the for the Jira would indeed include Max Cantor for the sprints because you can't put Max Cantor in the Tour de France and the Vuelta if you send Maz as GC rider because the team needs to focus on Maz in my eyes in the Grand Tours that Maz is in. So I would put Max Cantor in this one. I would put Valverde obviously as leader. Uh, Aramburu is the question now because. You can choose in this team between, like we said, Cortina, Serrano, and Aramburu. I would put Aramburu in the Giro and the Vuelta while Garcia Cortina can do the tour with the cobble stage. Yes. Uh, because he needs to help out Miles over those cobbles. But no. in the Giro, then, no? Okay, no. YOLO. <laughs> no support for Miles. <laughs> uh, in the Giro, I would add the likes of uh, Pedrero as support for Valverde, perhaps, something like that. Mulberger. It depends on how where he's at because we haven't mentioned Mulberger for the Hill Classics. I would put him in there if he's back because we didn't say it because he was injured this year. But yeah. hopefully he can come back and also do the Hill Classics. But I don't know. It depends, you know, because I'd argue that the Vuelta is better for an informed Mulberger. But are you going to try it first time in the Vuelta with Maz as leader? It's a good question. So. It's difficult to to decide that. Jorgensen, I don't know if I can fit him in the Tour de France and the Vuelta team. So that's why I would put him in the Giro. Bala needs some help. Yeah. I'm going to send Ooh. Pedrero with him. I'm going to send Sosa, Mulberger, Cantor <laughs> can go. I think we got to give all all the help Bala needs. This is his last. And, and Aaron Baru as well. Aaron Baru, I think, medium mountain. Very, very good. And there's a lot of Basque stages. No, that's in the Vuelta, not the Giro. Jesus. Um Maybe Will Barter, I don't know. It's it's difficult. There's not I just think they yeah, they gotta give Bala some decent support. Um on your point, Benji, the reason I said no about Enric Mass, I said 
isn't that the problem with this team? Is that they treat their rider coming T6 in the tour as if they're Pagacha wearing the yellow jersey and only in the Vuelta did we see Verona who was getting flogged like domestique work all yeah. day one day and then you know break every break day in day out trying to gain time for teams classification or whatever don't you think they need to loosen up a bit and ride a bit more like EF I would dare to say so but if you can get second in the Vuelta with Mars then you can also win if at any point, Roglic has no, I mean the tour. puncture or something. But in the Tour de France, yeah, I think they need to play more uh, more free. Because if you've got sixth at the Tour de France, that's not a position in which you have your entire team changed up, in my opinion, chained up. Um, so I would indeed look at the Tour de France to be more free. But what do you do then? You put Cortina in a free role and you try breakaways with other riders in the meanwhile? Yeah, I think Cortina for those transition stages. I mean, Jesus, they tr- remember, Benji, they had three guys in the stage 19 break and then they got the call and they dropped out of the break. Like, like what the fuck? That was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Tour de France team, Enric Maas. Verona. Verona, Erviti, Oliveira. Um, maybe Pedrero because Bala's not going to be going. Garfia Is it Gire? Yes. Yes, Izaguirre and Mulberger or Las... No, no, that's kind of what am I saying. Um, yeah. <laughs> Gonzalo Serrano, maybe. Maybe they need they need a punchy guy and they don't have Aaron Brew there. They don't have Bala there, so maybe Serrano. I'd argue that's a, a good choice, but yeah, I think when, when going over this team so far, I feel like they don't have great support from us. In turning the mountains, I mean, it all yeah. depends on Sosa, right? Like, he, I don't think he will, uh, but they'll be hoping he can. And maybe Sosa is really good in the first three months of the year of yeah. the season, and it's a no-brainer that he's going to be. But we've said that he comes. But next to Verona, then I'm looking at Izagiri as the one I perhaps trust the most in the team so far. I don't know if Rodriguez is going to be trustable as a domestique True. at this team. That's also an unknown for us. Rubio, what can he offer when it comes to domestique work? Because he has ridden the Giro, I think, this year. But he did that getting 39th in GC. Who was he riding for? Damn, Pedrero. Pedrero won Ruth Doxitani this year. Um, he's kind of been steadily... Steadily improving. He won that he ahead was, uh, of Ferrara. He was essential in the uh, Carapaz Grand Tour victory at the Giro when they were on the, was it Mortirolo when Nibali attacked the entire uh, Landa and Carapaz situation and Pedrero was the one that kept Nibali in check or something or Carretera, one of the two. He's he's actually pretty good. So I would kind of, they, they need Pedrero, Sosa, Oscar Rodriguez, or maybe one else, so one other, Gorka Izaguirre, really step up and be a mountain domestique yeah. for Mas, I would think, uh, if they want to challenge for the tour podium. The Vuelta Benji, it's going to be the the Bala goodbye show, and that's that's all it should be. It's going to be Bala, I don't and know, Mas. Mas for GC, even though Bala's a better GC rider. You heard it here first. I disagree. Yeah. <laughs> Bala just doesn't care, but he's actually a better GC rider. I disagree. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what about Aaron Baru though? Like, isn't I, Bala, I said it. 
Aramburu Giro Velta double. But it's a cursed combo, Aramburu and Valverde. It's like the punchy. Valverde is the lead out. <laughs> True. Yeah, we were discussed this. He needs like the last Grand Tour needs to be Valverde giving the like giving the throne to another rider, and no, who no, no. better than the legend himself, Alex, the cycling guru Aramburu. It needs to be Bala kick, kicking, <laughs> kicking, and then Aramburu like bring, being on his wheel, and then like stealing the win from him, and then yeah, Bala was <laughs> fucking mental. That was, I, I hope it happens. Um, or Aramburu even better brings like a group back to him, and yeah, someone else wins. Um, anyway, yeah, but Aramburu can't do that because he's caged for Mars now these days. True. <laughs> That's what, like, you know what's going to happen. Vuelta uh, is going to be, like, they'll stack the team. It's the most important race for them. And listen, Movistar were really good in the Vuelta this year. Like, I, I think they don't get enough credit for it. Like, they had so many riders crash yep. out. They had a guy on second. They had Lopez in sixth, and then he, he left. But they they won the Queen's stage. They came second in the open. No, that Amber is on a starter. <laughs> like, Val, Bauer crashed out, and they still did really well. So I think, like, encouraging signs, and Mars definitely taking a step up. Now time for the over-unders, Benji. There are two World Tour wins last year, I think. Three this year. Three. Oh, yeah, you're right. Oh, sorry. No, I got my years confused. I meant 2020. They uh, didn't. They only got two wins. in. I'm trying to think of an, how many did they get in a normal year. in, in uh, So when they had Quintana and Bala and Carapaz, they had in 2019 – seven world tour wins including a grand tour win and in each grand tour and the giro gc i'm sitting the over under at three no nah, it's too low is, is it, it? Two, yeah three and a half i think it's gonna be just over but it won't be that big of a difference if you had it at four and a half i would have doubted the problem is there's not that many spanish one week world tour races there's no there are yeah well, but there's baskin there's Scatler. yeah you're right Jesus, oh, it's gonna be hard for them to get stages. Because like people, Verde will do it, man. Come on, final year. He's he's not fast anymore. He's a better GC rider. He's not than Mars. <laughs> Peacock and and Aaron Baru. Yeah, and, and, well, and Co- like I wouldn't f- put Aaron Baru on the level of Peacock to be honest. <laughs> in a flat sprint, in a flat sprint, he's quicker Pitcock's than Mars. better. Then Amberu, I don't know about that. Um, yeah. we'll, maybe we'll see at the Giro, as we have discussed. Um, but a counter. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, three and a half is difficult. I'm, I'm taking because the thing is, Benji, say Mars comes third in Tour and win and second in the Vuelta, great results, still not a win. Uh, I'm going the yeah. under. Ha! Oh, I think they'll get four, so above. Okay, I just kind of want to be a contrarian. Uh, do you think Balverde actually retires? Yes. It's a shame. Um, but he comes right. back in two years <laughs> and wins the Tour de France in seven. That would be kind of funny. All right, the last section now, the hot takes for Movistar 2022. Do you have any, do you have any lined up? Oh, God, I didn't, but... I will have them lined up in the sense that I will say that. Adam Buddha will win a Grand Tour snatch. I have to, like, I have okay. to. Just, yes. Yeah, sure. I have to win a Grand Tour where he's not chained for a Mars, of course. Um, and next to that, my hot take is that 
Abner Gonzalez is going to win a race, same as last year, but now it's going to happen. He's actually kind of, like, he's not bad. <laughs> he's growing. Yeah. <laughs> I think Valverde wins the Giro, podiums the yeah. Vuelta. Um, and yeah, I think I think Balor will also podium two monuments. So he's going to win the Giro, podium two monuments, and come third in the Vuelta. So that, that's pretty good for a 42-year-old. <laughs> yeah. Is that your entire hot take? Like all those results together? I mean, come on. That's like flaming hot. What about – I don't think uh, – I think – I don't think Mass wins a race. Um, well, that's not a hot take. <laughs> true. He'll get second everywhere. The one race that he was winning, Valenciana, he ended up puncturing in the last time <laughs> just to not make it happen. I don't think Mass – uh top fives a stage race on gc that's flaming hot (laughs) he's got to be domestic for bala and what do we say about our brazilian i think he he wins a race i think he wins a race like circuito get you or something like that okay yes you think this is the rise of uh the new brazilian wave into cycling i don't know i'm not too well versed on Brazilian prospects, but you know, three-year deal at twenty. I reckon, I reckon he's winning a race, and Mark Benji down for that too. But yeah, that was our Movistar men's preview. We have Enric Mas apparently out of contract at the end of twenty twenty-two. I assume. Well, uh, he he should be extending at Movistar. They should if be he leaves, him. what is this theme? <laughs> well, that's what I wanted to talk about at the end here, Benji. Is you know, he he will be re-signed. They need him. He needs. He gets un. He gets tour and world to leadership every year, like yeah. locked in. Perfect for him, Spanish rider. They should pay him a lot, and he's you know he's good. He's still improving. He's he has he's running out of things to win. But Bala Benji, what the fuck are they going to do when he retires in the Ardennes? How about all the money that is gone from Fulverde? They spend into getting Carapaz back, making uh, super I, drama I know. of the fact that Carapaz left. Oh, they actually should though. They actually should re-sign Carapaz. Yeah, they should re-sign Carapaz, and it fits because his contract is running out. <laughs> like it's the perfect addition for them. It's like um, Bennett returning to Bora. <laughs> it's exactly <laughs> like that. So it, listen, we just saw it happen. Like, and that was even more acrimonious. Like it seemed than than Carap- Carapaz and. It was more seemed to be between a Quadro and Movistar. They're like, "Fuck you, a Quadro," but. Yeah, Car- they need Carapaz, and I think Carapaz kind of needs them. <laughs> like, yeah, as well. So you're right. They just he gets to go to the Giro every year and, and be leader. But yeah, I don't know. They 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 need a Bala transition strategy. They got Aaron Baru. I think it's a good signing. He's certainly no Bala. And um, the problem is Benji, the biggest Spanish prospects are not on Movistar. Ayuso at UAE and Carlos Rodriguez at Ineos and. That's the problem is – and Enric Mas as well, Benji. Enric Mas was on Quickstep and then came over to Movistar after he came second on Quickstep in 2018. So they're not actually getting and developing the best Spanish talent yeah. uh, both then and now. So that's a problem as well. And, yeah, there's no replacement for Balor, but it's just impossible man to replace. Just something to watch. Anything else to add? Nope. 
Okay, that was our Movistar men's preview. Now on to our interview with Sebastian Nzue, the CEO, COO of Abarca Sports and the manager of the Movistar women's team. Welcome to the Lanterman Rouge Cycling Podcast, Sebastian Mzue, COO of Abarca Sports, which is the company behind both Movistar teams and the manager of the uh, Keeper Feminina for Movistar. Welcome. Where are you now? And I guess, is have you got a training camp in Elche or Alicante? And is, is it a joint camp with both teams? Not yet, not yet. I'm in, I'm in Pamplona now in the office in our service course. Okay. But in next week, we're, we're all leaving to, to Almeria in the south of Spain for a training camp with, with both teams, the men's, the women's teams, and also the esports team. So it's going to be all of us together in Almeria for a few days. So basically, uh, the last year we've seen that a lot of new races have been announced when it comes to World Tour. We've got Battle of the North to the France Femme. We've mm-hmm. got lots of race days added. I think I made the calculation a few days ago, but I forgot the exact number. But it was a significant improvement in amount of World Tour mm-hmm. race days. How do you think that will affect the season for a, for a team, a women's team? I think it's going to have many effects and, and I mean at the end if we analyze the past three, four, even five years I think since since we joined the, the women's peloton um, there's been a, every year a huge increase in the number of race days not only world tour but also a pro series point one, point two races so the, the calendar is growing a lot uh, this means that Teams have many more commitments to 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 pursue and and and, and to continue um, doing. This means that that we have to be at much more races than we originally maybe planned. And at the end, this is going to have an effect, uh, a very clear effect in, in in the number of of riders that we have in the teams uh, right now. I think the average in the world tour is, is around 13, 14 riders, if I'm not wrong. Um, but probably the calendar continues growing the way it's been growing these past few years. Uh, 14 is not going to be enough in the next few years. Um, we're going to see, in my opinion, I think we're going to see teams growing in, in, in the number of riders because that's the only way we have to be able to compete in, in, in such a busy program like the one we have this year, for example. And is with that new, you know, the teams often, with the exception maybe STU works, they have one big leader on GC and then maybe a sprinter. Like, for example, Movistar, you have Anamik for GC and then Emma Norsgaard's been the classics sprint leader. Is, say, for example, the signing of Sarah Gigante, is that, are you looking at someone like her as, okay, we can't send Anamik to every race for GC. We need for Tudor Romandy next year, we need another GC option. Uh, is that sort of the thinking behind that? We're, we're, when, when we when we decided to bring Sarah into the team, um, we were convinced, and we still are convinced, obviously that that she's one of the riders of the future and one of the future leaders of of, of, of any team. We think that she can she can develop really well in. In, in many different aspects and, and, and she's a writer that so far she's proved that, that she's among the best and in the under 23 level 
she's also been able to compete with the with the bigger girls since a very young age, and she's also been able to to beat them. So these are signs that 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 we have a huge talent. She's a huge talent, but there's still a lot of work ahead and a lot of work that we need to do. She hasn't been racing in Europe so so much in the past, and 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 the transition into racing to to inside Europe and 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 and, and getting into the European calendar. Um, it's probably not going to be easy, easy for her, but I think that she's one of the riders to watch out for the future. But I'm, I mean, we need to be patient with her. She's she's a huge talent, but she's a diamond that we still need to polish. And and I think that having the opportunity for her to race uh, next to riders like Anamik, for example, or, yeah. or or Emma, that's that's going to bring a lot of positive things for for Sarah. And 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 in fact, the 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 the, the, the the fact of having Anemic by her side and, and and having the opportunity to to work for Anemic in many races and to race together, to train together, to spend time on training camps together, I think those those things are going to be extremely valuable for Sarah and for everyone else in the team. But 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 for Sarah, that she's the rider that also has a, an amazingly good TT. Uh, she's a, a great climber. I think there there are similar type of rider but uh, like I said before I think we need to be patient I think we need to go step by step with Sarah and I'm sure she has a bright future ahead of her but we need to be patient and we need to to go step by step she's gonna progress I'm sure and I'm, I'm, I'm also convinced that racing next to Anamik is gonna be a, a huge advantage for her. When it comes to uh, the season being added with race days that will likely have an influence on the riders' goals, not being able to do every single welter race in a row, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, is there a sponsor aspect to it between, for example, the Giro Rosa and the Tour de France Femme? Uh, is the Tour de France Femme immediately uh, the more important goal due to, due to the uh, media interest and so forth? No doubt. No doubt. I think that um, the Tour de France in, 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 in general, in, it's it's at another level. It's the the greatest uh, race in cycling. And now that we have this, this new Tour de France in the women's uh, calendar, I think it's going to be, it's going to mean a huge impact for all of us in terms of, of returns on, 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 on the investments that our sponsors are, are making in terms of, of a, um, TV audiences, probably they're going to be much higher than what we're used to. So far, so I'm 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 sure that the Tour de France is going to have a great impact, and and the name it's 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 such a big race, it's has such a great history behind that it's immediately going to become a, the main objective for many of us next year. Well, this year now. Do you have any insight, or have you done any projections? It's hard because it hasn't happened yet. Into how much of a difference it might make on your budgets for the women's team. In the future, could it increase budgets by 20%, 30%? Like we hear on the men's side, for some teams, sponsors pay, and 80% of the reason is for the Tour de France. It might, it's probably not going to be that high for the women's. But yeah, do you have, because mm -hmm. you work in the business side of things as well, mm -hmm. what do you think, what sort of impact will it be? And will, will there be like a two, three year lag? Because you can't just get that sponsor increase immediately. I think this is going to be a, a process that it's going to take some time. I haven't made any any 
concrete calculations on what's going to mean in terms of budget, but I'm sure that, 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 that this is going to allow us to have the visibility that we've been looking for for a long time. Um, I hope that the TV audiences are, are, are good and continue increasing. And, and if we have those two things, um, I'm sure that budget-wise uh, we'll be in a much better position in the future. But I mean, at the end, we're going through a process of a lot of changes in, in, in cycling in general, uh, but in Boma cycling in particular. I think that the past five years have been um, an absolute transformation of the sport. I, I, I came in here in 2018, more or less, and, and I've seen so many changes in such a short period of time that, that it's, it's even shocking at some point for, 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 for many of us how fast we're growing. And in that aspect, I think that we also need to be cautious on how ambitious we are in terms of, 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 of continue developing the sport. And I think we need to be maybe a little more patient than we've been so far until now. Um, this whole process is going to take time. And, and at the end, at least from my point of view, what we need to do is, is, is make our sport more attractive, more attractive for the fans to watch on TV, more attractive for, for companies to continue trusting us with their brands and promoting their brands. And, 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 and once we have that, we have, once we have a, a more attractive sport, once we have uh, more interest from the fans, more interest from the companies, I think that's when the change budget-wise it's going to come. But like I said, I think it's a process that, that takes time. We cannot uh, rush things or try to go too fast because we risk collapsing everything if we try to run too much. Yeah. Uh, now a completely different question. Annemiek van Vleuten finished off the 2021 season as the number one female rider in the world. And I wanted to ask, because I tweeted uh, with Annemiek van Vleuten a few hours ago, about the value of uh, that. Is that worth it for the team? Because I'm pretty sure there's no prize money. You need to wear the jersey as well, so it's hiding some stuff. So, I mean, I'm not going to say it's not worth it because yes. I would be lying at the end. The World Tour ranking proves or shows who's being the most regular rider in the season. So obviously, that must have some value Yeah, because it's proving that you've been the most regular rider. But I agree with what Anemic was saying in, in the tweet. I also read the tweet before before coming here into the interview, guys. <laughs> and and I agree with her. And I've had this conversation with her quite a few times already. And and and, and it's hard to understand um, how in women's cycling we're imposed that jersey if you're leading the world tour of the young leaders jersey of the world tour. Um, for me, it's hard to understand. Why do we need to cover ourselves with a jersey that, that, that takes away the sponsors, which are the ones who are spending the money and who are making the investment to, 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 to continue having the team? Um, I'd love to continue having a world to ranking. I would love mm -hmm. to because, it, like I said before, it proves who has been the most regular rider during the season. But at the same time, there's certain things that, that I don't understand really well. And one of them is the fact that we need to be wearing those jerseys during the season. Yeah. That's something that we, we, we're trying to make or we are somehow uh, trying to get closer to, to what men's cycling is at the moment. And we take some rules. We take some things that... Oh, sorry, guys. No, we're good. My, my, 
microphone file. And the thing is that um, I have the feeling that 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 we're putting the focus on 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 not the most important things, which which is, in my opinion, what I told you before. We need to continue our making our sport more attractive for everyone, fans, sponsors, everyone, and and things like 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 having a world tour leaders jersey that takes away all the space that your sponsors are paying the money for. In that jersey, you're taking it away with the best rider in the team, probably. I think that's unfair. I think it's unfair. I think it's not logical that we have it and the men's don't have it. So I think that if we continue like this, um, I think that 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 if the men's already took it away quite some years ago, I think that we should follow the same path with the women's. It's it's the same situation. Yeah, or at least have that- a, a monetary prize for it. Um, and at least not be another purple jersey. It was another purple jersey, yeah. a mix, you know, old live, and et cetera. And today, yeah, uh, today for example, yeah. today I was, that's it. I was, I was reading about, about what happened to Vizcaya today. I, I don't know if they, if they gave them the information today, if they got the information from the UCI today or, or if it was previous. But if it was today when they were informed about the fact that they cannot use that jersey, like, that's a huge problem. Yeah, that's a huge problem for a team. It would be a huge problem for us, and, a, and we are a world tour team. Imagine for a smaller team. It's not fair. It's not fair, and it's not logical that you're making them change their jersey when it's part of the identity that they've had for many, many years already. Only for that simple reason, which is the fact that it's really similar to the world tour leader's jersey. Explain it to me because I don't understand. I don't understand the logic behind it. I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's 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 right, honestly. Yeah, I agree. Um, we saw that we saw the same with Andy Schleck's uh, team as well a few uh, weeks ago. That was similar to other teams. Thanks. Um, I agree on that. But do you think that the ranking being behind the women's world tour? We've now got I think twelve teams in total in women's world tour or eleven, something like that. Compared to in men's, we're at eighteen. I think with Quebecer folding, uh, which means that is perhaps the goal of UCI to make it 18 as well and, and implement the same relegation system, you think, as in the men's cycling? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I don't know, but I think that as it is today, women's cycling, I think that 15 World Tour teams should be the maximum that we that we think of. Anything more than that and taking into account that the teams are going to be growing in number of riders. Um, anything above 15 teams, it seems too much for me. I'm no one to, 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 <laughs> to make this decision, but, but, but it seems too much. I think that, uh, like I told you guys before, I think we need to be more patient in this process. I think that uh, I'm, I'm really happy and, and, and I'm actually proud because I feel part of, of, of all the progress that has been made in these past few years. But at the same time, I'm also concerned that, that, that we're trying to take too many steps too fast. And, and, and when you do this, you, you, you take the risk of, of, of collapsing. And that's where we cannot, that's not the point that we want to get to. So I think we need to be much more careful in the in the pace at which we take certain decisions or we implement certain changes. 
I'd be more more patient and I'd go in a slower pace. But this With is not me to, to make the decision, unfortunately. Well, yeah, like sometimes you say, you people are like, why isn't the TDFF three weeks straight away? And it's like, well, that you're adding like compared to the Giro Rosa, which has been the longest uh, most of the time women's world tour race, you're adding like triple the length of that. It's just, it doesn't That's really crazy. make sense. No, we don't need that. We don't need three week yeah. races. Yeah, I don't think we that's the solution races. to make women cycling. Yeah, we need races to be on live on TV. We need races to be attractive, and in order to have attractive races, you don't need to have two hundred kilometer stages or, or or three week stage races. You can have shorter stages with many more difficulties than we had in the past, and that's going to make our races much more exciting. But we don't need to go to have three-week Grand Tour. What are we going to do in a three-week Grand Tour with six riders per team, only one team car in the race? It's impossible right now. It's it's it's, it's yeah. not doable. With the calendar as it is today and 14 riders per team, It's you cannot do a three-week race in the summer. It's impossible right now. Exactly. And with other riders like there's other there's Burgos around it, which is a you know Burgos is women's world tour. People don't realize it's mm-hmm. a world tour race in women's calendar, not a world tour race in the men's calendar. So it's a bigger target. We saw yeah. Anamik against Anna van der Breggen this year there. But one other mm-hmm. question I had, which is completely different, it's more to do with coverage or social media. Movistar mm-hmm. went with the the two teams are completely joined together on social media. One account on Twitter. There's the Movistar team account on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure about YouTube, presume it's the same, or Instagram, presume it's the same as mm-hmm. well. It's all the same. What's the, what was the rationale behind that? Because some other teams split the accounts and just have dedicated accounts to each. It's easy. We are one team. <laughs> We're not two different teams. <laughs> we are one team. And, and the team competes in the women's calendar and competes in the men's calendar. That's the reason. What, what's the need of making a separate account? What for? When you already have a huge base of followers in your, in your, in your exactly, existing yeah. accounts, why would you go create something new when you can take advantage of what you have already created, which took, which took us a lot of work? Wait, wait, why not use that? We would be stupid, in my opinion, honestly. So uh, it was a clear decision. Also, our communications team... Um, they had a very clear idea. They wanted to share all the resources. They wanted to share all the social media, everything. And, and, and that's how we started. That's the idea we had from the start. And that's probably not going to change in the future either. At the end, we are one team. And that's what this, why this was done. Because we have the feeling that this is just one big team, one big family which competes in different events and different calendars throughout the year, but we're still all members of the same exact team. I, I wanted to give you an opportunity because you mentioned how to make the sport more attractive in the past. Movistar, I've had El Dia Menos uh, Pensado, which is kind of like, I guess the closest cycling has had to drive to survive the Formula One show on Netflix, which mm-hmm. like, I have no interest in Formula One. But I watched that. I watched Drive to Survive, and I'm like, maybe I am interested in Formula <laughs> One. Um, but you guys stopped that. 
eventually. But what what other ideas do you have when you when you say things like make cycling more attractive? What what do you mean by that? Do you mean stage design? Do you mean things on digital media or either or? Everything. I think that the, the 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 good thing about this is that we have so many opportunities to explore. We obviously. Um, in the sport industry, I think that, that teams are, are, are shifting between being a, a, mainly a sport entity that just competes and we're shifting into becoming uh, entertainment companies pretty much. We need to generate content. We need yeah. to generate content around our main activity, which is cycling. But there's many, many things that can be done to, to make our sport more attractive. One of the things that that we had in mind when we started the project with Netflix, which was to, 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 to get closer to the fans, get closer to the fans by showing them and, 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 and giving them the opportunity to see what's a team from the inside and, and, and see what's a team from the inside, which without any filter, uh, being honest, showing also the mistakes that we make at some points. We all make mistakes. I think it just humanizes us. And, 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 and I think these are the kind of things that we can have to continue doing. We need to find ways of engaging more and better with our fans. We need to find ways of, of making our sport attractive for the younger generations. And that's not going to be easy because those people are not uh, willing to spend three hours sitting on TV at 4 p.m. every day in the summer just to watch a bike race. So we need to find other ways to, to get to those people and get to that target audience that, that, that I think that we can be really attractive for them. But I think that there's a lot of work that can be done and, and a lot of things that we should be doing in I'll order pitch, to get that. I'll pitch you one idea. No team's done it yet. Why does no team have a podcast? Garain Thomas has proved or proven he's taken that, done his own podcast, used his personality, Look, I don't know how much he's making decent money, I think, off it. I think given the sponsors on board, one would assume. And it's also opened up just more reach for him to get closer to the fans. Yeah. I reckon Team Movistar podcast in Spanish, you get, you have a couple of, maybe mm-hmm. Jose Joaquin Rojas can be the main host, brings on a different person each week. It'll kill it. Once a week, once every two weeks. All right, so it's, it's a great idea, and it's one of the things that 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 we've had on the table for for a couple of years already. I'm actually a fan of of of, of Geraint Thomas's podcast, and, yeah. <laughs> and and I've also heard him and Luke Bro a few times. So so they make some entertaining content, and 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 it's fun. It's fun to watch them. I think it's a great idea. We've got something similar, which is the Movistar Team Talks with that, which I'm not sure if you guys have watched it. We started it during the lockdown period last year, and, and it was pretty much a video podcast or, or yeah. however you call it nowadays. And and those were pretty much uh, relaxed conversations with with, with the writers and, and, and other people that we thought would be interesting for the fans. And, and it's a similar method as as, as, as as a podcast so i think that uh, we're almost there and the idea is 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 there we're we're working on it we're thinking about it we're planning on on what's the best way of starting it but that probably at some point you will you will see us on a podcast as a team awesome well that's all 
we've had uh, lined up for your questions, Sebastian. Thanks so much for coming on and being generous with your time. I'm sure it's great to hear in insights like you've given in the last half an hour. And best of luck for the rest of the season with, with both teams. And, of course, we're looking out particularly at the TDFF next year. Anamik will be the hot favourite for it. So best of luck. Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure to be here. Now time for the Movistar women's team preview for 2022. They have now with AVDB retiring, certainly the sort of undisputed best GC rider in women's cycling, Annemiek van Fluten, who although she did have a crash at the end of last year and is recovering from that. In 2021, they had seven World Tour wins. They were the second-ranked team in the UCR ranking. AVV was the best-ranked rider in Women's World Tour, which you'll have heard Sebastian Zoe talk about, you know, the flaws in that system uh, in in that interview. But I think a pretty good year, Benji. A, a really good year. Like, ADD did well. Eminor's guide came through. They got some contributions as well from, like, Leah Thomas as well. Yeah, obviously, if you've got Von Vleuten, you won victories. And she brought that. That RVV victory is certainly one of them. But... Even in the Hill Classic, she got very close and perhaps was disappointed, I would expect, being third, fourth, and second in all three of them, Amstel, Flesh, and Liege. So I think that's a bit of a bummer on her end, but she sprung back quite uh, instantly with that Valenciana win and those Olympics, obviously not that special for the team that she's on, but for her, it's definitely good. Do you think that they... Do you think that they expect more victories at top level from a rider like this? I think, I know it sounds crazy, but I kind of think yes. Weird, huh? Yeah, like you, no Paribay is not really her thing, but, you know, they kind of would be expecting maybe one more World Tour one-day race. Uh, She won one. I think the reason, I think the reason is that the Girosa was skipped for the Olympics. And that won't happen in 2022, but obviously Tour de France Femme comes up. So I think they'll have more victories with her in 2022. Spoilers, sorry. Emma Knowles got as well. She was very consistent at the start of the year and like second in Brugge de Pana, ninth at Gendwebelham, second at Scheldepreis, second at Omloop. But she didn't actually break through for a World Tour win. I mean, the Giro Rosa was technically not World Tour. She did win a stage there. Um, sixth at Paris-Roubaix. She's 22 years old, looking very good, uh, Emma Norsgaard. So a lot to be happy about. And the transfers, yeah. I mean, with SD Works, Benji, it's, almost, it's literally impossible to be first ranked virtually. So they did the best they could coming second, I think. I think so as well. I think they did well with what they had and obviously if you have one of the best riders in the team then you're gonna get the victories necessary to do a potential second spot the question is are they going to be able to keep that up in 2022 when other teams are trying to build a stronger top level squad and then we look at the transfers like you mentioned in their team they're having leah thomas go to trek segafredo we spoke about her on the trek pod she's a strong domestique among versatile areas Alba Teruel she's going to Biscaya was also a relatively good domestique not necessarily in the races that von Vleuten was on though so she was more of that secondary level races and the transfers that come in are in my opinion two good ones but I'm very hyped about Alene Sierra joining this squad 
And that is because we've been speaking about her here or there throughout the season. And she ended up winning Trivale Varzine and got second in Giro dell'Emilia this year. She's getting victories in the likes of a Toscana, but also in that, uh, was it Ardeja, I think? Yes. I think she got close on the stage where Grace Brown won in Burgos. She got in the second group, I think, first. Yes, indeed, fourth in that stage. She won one of those Spanish races ahead of the likes of Van Vleuten, so she can offer options in those races as well, like in Navarra Women's Elite Classics, for example. My question is, where can she fit in the team in the World Tour level races? And then we look at what she did at the Hill Classics, 46th, 42nd, and 37th, and I'm like, I was expecting a tiny bit more by Sierra in those races. And then I look at Brabant Sapel, 15, that's better. Can't be able to have 15th. And I'm like, she can get over cobbles. And then I'm like, okay, cobbles or hills. And like, yeah, that, that six at Sheldon Price ahead of Sarah Roy. Like, it's, I don't know, it, it's interesting, given that they have AVV, who for LBL, Flash, Lacourse, uh, wherever that sits in the calendar for San Sebastian, maybe not San Sebastian, but for the big, big hilly one-day races, mm-hmm. you have AVV, that's your leader, makes sense. I think you have Sierra at other races. Maybe she's an attacking option in Hen-Favelhem if it's an aggressive race on the hills, Benji, and I still expect Norsgaard to make it, frankly. Uh, but, yeah, you look at you look at that shoulder press. Second Norsgaard, sixth Sierra. It's a hard, she's a hard rider to, to fit in, but I would send her to the other races and the other newer Women's World Tour races that AVV can't go to all of them, she can pick up stage wins. I think that's how they should use her. I think so as well. And we're looking at a Brabant as a place where she can fit in in the calendar where I would not be sending the likes of a uh, Von Vleuten, for example. Obviously, that's a one one race, but there are some other examples throughout the season that I would definitely look at. I'm like, like the Ronde van Drenthe. I wouldn't be sending Von Vleuten to the Ronde van Drenthe personally, although it's a Dutch race. But I'm also like, Sierra, yeah, is that the place to go either? I don't know. Uh, I think if you look at the other transfer, she's very talented, Sarah Gigante, but she's had some issues recently. Do you know the uh, specific injuries or illness that she had? Yeah, so Gigante, this came out at the end of the last year. She's in recovery from a bout of myopericarditis. Uh, which is like she had a heart scare. I'm not a doctor, so I don't understand the, the true ins and outs of it. Um, but, yeah, she's a very talented rider. She's 21 years old. She's actually with that new agency, the one that sits under Anthony Joshua. It's branding 258 protege uh, with Leo Hader, I think. Anyway, she won the Australian ITT champs. She won the Santos Festival of Cycling this year, 2020 as, as well. She won the ITT champs. Um, I think when there were more, uh, when Grace Brown was there, she beat her by nine seconds. So she's super talented, GC-focused rider. Uh, but yeah, just even 11th Olympic Games ITT this year. But yeah, it seemed to be a bit off. And uh, I think a good pickup for Movistar because she's just, uh, that she definitely can learn from AVV. We heard Sebastian Zoué in the interview was very high on her and that seems to be what he thinks as well is that she can learn a lot from AVV. But what do you think from her, Benji? Because I think if she's performing, she will be the mountain domestique for AVV in the tour. I think she certainly fits that bill. But then we look at her results in the classics this year, where she got 11 in Dwarsdorf London, for example. And I'm like, are we going to put her in that 
kind of territory of race territory of racing as well to support Van Vleuten. And I think it all depends on her recovery of that injury. Is she going to be top level already at the Cobble Classics? Or is that going to be a bit later? And as a consequence, we can't say which races that we would send her to, I would expect. Yeah, it's exactly. It's I think it's a wait and see as well when she'll be she'll be back to racing. But now to pick their their teams uh for actually, no, we'll do oh yeah, we do the teams first. I always get it out of order. Cobble classics Benji. I'm not going to send – I don't think AVV should do all of them. It's a heavier yeah. schedule. She's got to do T- TDFF. I'm going I'm to go Norsgaard for the early ones like Samin, Omlope, et cetera, and then bring AVV in for RVV. Yeah. I would also next to that look at an Odebionich for the likes of a uh, Roubaix, for example. She got 21st in Paris Roubaix Thumb in 2021, so that's a good result to, uh, to look at because, uh, yeah, you can uh, help out a leader in that aspect. Now, next to that, I would probably look at Yelena Erich as a rider that can be supportive in cobble races. She didn't have the craziest results, but she rode them and wasn't terrible. 31st at Omlop, 28th at Lissamin. She was 80 roughly at the RVV. So it's more of a domestique role than a, a leader role, quite certainly. When it comes to the likes of uh, a filler for the team, not necessarily filler, but quite supportive, Barbara Quarishi is something I would expect as a rider that I would potentially put in this squad as well. Although, like, she's also not the most consistent on these terrains. She DNF'd at RVV, but I was looking at the 60s plays at Oxyclean, for example. We got to look at those results already to fill the team. And then, I, then I'm like, okay, the support isn't really there. But if you've got someone like Annemiek van Vleuten, do you need more? And the rider that we should not forget is Emma Norsgaard, of course. And... She's the one I'm looking at to be a co-leader with AVV and spread out. And depending on what race it is, either could be the leader. I would be looking at Van Vleuten for RVV while I look at Norsgaard to be the rider for Jan Wevelgem. Well, if a Van Vleuten goes to Jan Wevelgem, then she can be the attacking option for the squad. I would not send AVV to an Omlop, for example. That's where I'd send Ooh, Norsgaard. Roubaix. What, sorry? No, AVV. AVV is not doing Roubaix. Not allowed. Okay. It's too much of a crash risk for the tour. Uh, I don't think it's necessary either because you've got Norsgaard for it. So I agree. And I think that with the situation of having both Norsgaard and AVV, you can spread them out quite perfectly throughout those races and see which ones we're going at. But then I uh, I also said earlier, I think that Sierra also yeah, was a question her. mark for Cobbles and Hills. Would you choose Cobbles over Hills? I would, I would center and focus on Cobbles and... If she can't get away or it's not so hard to race, now you have a lead out for Norsgaard, a very strong lead out, and or should be at least. Uh, so, yes, I think I would pair her more with Norsgaard and then have AVV as clear leader in, in RVV uh, and maybe a couple of other races is how I'd I do it differently. Approach. I think I'd put Sierra in the likes of a Bravo and Sapel in those races and I'd put her in all those Spanish races, like that name I cannot pronounced Nefu, whatever, Keen Classic <laughs> Race, Navarro Women's Nefa- Classic. You mean Navarro? Yes, that one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, right. yeah, that's my take on that. When it comes to the hills, I think Von Vleuten is obviously leader after the things she's done this year, three top fives at those races. If she finds the lucky attack that gets her away, then she can win one of those races quite certainly. But her competition is pretty big in the name of his D-Works. Obviously, Anna van der Breggenau being there can be an extra option for her to do better in those races. When it comes to support, 
Alarud is someone I'm looking at. I recall her attacking on Lara Dut this year in LBL together with Utre Plodwig. Vaguely remember that. Uh, Sarah Martin as support was very good at helping her out at San Sebastian, helping Van Vleuten out at San Sebastian. And the likes of uh, Ha. Then I'm looking at support teams surrounding that. Are we thinking about a Gonzalez, perhaps? Alicia Gonzalez, I think, uh, as a support for Van Vleuten as well. I think she did some of these hilly classics, but I think Yelena, it were the Spanish ones. If Yelena Ares did some. She did, yeah. she did a couple, but not all. I would send Sierra as well um, to help ADD to set her up. I would to launch those attacks so he's not doing them from in front of the peloton with no one setting it up. I'd, I'd have her in the Devonites role. If Gigante is in form, Gobbles or Hills Classics? Hills. Okay. That's what I go for. Uh, Jura Rosa Benji. This is a tricky one. Two weeks before the TDFF, it starts on the first day of the men's tour. I w- wouldn't be sending AVV. It's, I just wouldn't. <laughs> it's too risky. Yep. Um, I'd maybe I wouldn't send Norsgaard either, frankly. I'd give the other riders a chance. Yeah, I would as well. Guarishi as a outsider sprinter for that race, perhaps a Sierra as well. Uh, and Alarud as perhaps the climbing aspect. She was, I think, 20th in the Judo Rosa this year, or is that something I'm making up? It's 20th. She, she was good fifth time trials. Oh, yeah, you're right. So I don't know, isn't she support? Can she get a chance at Giro Rosa and still be a support domestique at the Tour de France fan? I think so. I think, yeah, I think that's how that's how I'd approach it. I'd give her a chance there and then have at the TDFF, if Gigante's on form, her, Norsgaard, obviously, for the sprint at the start, yeah. Alarud, AVV, Sarah Martin for the mountains. And, yeah, I think it's a pretty damn good squad. And they yeah, got I think so as well. Certainly. Um so in general, the Giro Rosa and TDFF team does not need to be the same for this team. And I would indeed choose that aspect, like we mentioned, Van Vleuten, Tour de France Femme. The others can try and get an opportunity at Giro Rosa, but still be supportive at the Tour de France Femme. And Northgard also doing the Tour de France Femme. Uh, obviously, depending on what form Gigante is in at that point, I wouldn't actually know which one to send her to yet. So... I guess that's something we can decide later on. But I think those are the main names I would send to those races personally. They they gotta be so happy, Movistar, with their investment in this team. Like yeah. you get the best women's GC rider now that AVDB's retired, you've got the TDFF coming in, you know, the cost of winning the men's Tour de France is almost it, it doesn't even matter how much money you have. Like Ineos have more money. Uh, but yeah, they're odds on to win it. And Norsgaard maybe to pick up a stage uh, as well next year. But the it's hard to do over. They had seven World Tour wins this year, Benji. I'm setting the line at six and a half. I'm taking the easy over. Easy. Yeah, I think so as well because easily there's more races to be won. Like we said it every single time. We've got that Tour de France Farm coming up. We've got the likes of uh, Battle of the North coming up in which... In all honesty, Katrin Allerud should be going to as well. And like all these new races coming up can offer opportunities. But then, then I'm thinking like to the Swiss, to the Romandy. With to the Romandy, I think going on to Fion 2000, another climbing stage. A team like this will have opportunities for riders like Sarah Martin at certain races. Yeah, I think 
like even she might get a chance to classic San Sebastian Benji if AVV doesn't go this year. Like she, she's a really good domestique yeah. there. So, like, yeah, she should get more opportunities. We both, I think, see Norsgaard taking some world tour wins. We see AVV continuing to take world tour wins and stages. And maybe Sierra picks up a couple. Look at as well. Are, so. are the women's world tour teams too small for the amount of world tour races we have this year? Um, I think it's close. It's close. Romandy's kind of pushing it on the limit. And I think Giro Rose is coming back as women's it's world Zulia, tour. It's Julia, women's. Is that coming in as well? Yeah, it was, I think, um, they stopped it last year for a year. And then this year they, they're doing it or something. Damn. Okay. Well, in that case, yeah, it's 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 heavy, and I think we're going to see squad sizes increasing from fourteen to twenty pretty pretty soon. But that was our Movistar women's team preview. They got a lot to be excited about, and we're obviously pretty high on them for twenty twenty two as well, given that they've got classics, hills, and GC covered for all races, which is you can't ask for much more. Um, so hopefully. Yeah, hopefully they live up and they get they get good results. And thanks to Sebastian and Zoe for coming on the podcast. We hope you enjoyed that interview. Let us know if you did, if you do enjoy those interviews, particularly with management. Often I think management have good insights that we guess about and they can provide confirmation or their own perspectives as well. But thanks as always to listening, for listening, and we'll see you in the next one. Ciao.